0: First of all, we have to address the governance mechanisms of the UK, because naturally, when assessing accountability, we have to go straight to those who hold the power. In a game of chess, if you want to checkmate your opponent, you don't go for a pawn, you go straight for that which holds the most authority, which is the king. In this case, it's the Prime Minister and his government that holds the most power. Boris, are you there? I mean, I I just want to have a chat with you. I just want to talk to him.
1: ridiculous
0: now we need to honestly revisit what got us to this point of over a hundred and seventeen thousand deaths and the disgraceful status of having the worst death toll in Europe disclaimer please as always this will be tackled from a political standpoint I regret to inform you that I'm not a medic I don't study medicine the last time I studied medicine uh, was in biology GCSE funny enough It feels like that's the extent of the knowledge that's been used handling this pandemic. But, you know, I'll be damned if I ever try to challenge the likes of actual medical professionals. So for now, I think I'll stay out of it. Nevertheless, today I will be merely assessing the political aspects of this COVID crisis, catastrophe, calamity, cataclysm, whatever you want to call it. It was a contumelial stratagem by political jobbers to
1: make America great again. God bless you. Worthy of the 21st century and will build a country for the many, not the few. I've had more than enough of this disease that attacked you all laughed at me well i have to say you're not laughing
0: now are you welcome to the political jobber podcast the political jobber podcast the political jobber podcast cool so really and truly if i'm going to be honest from what i can observe the countries that have done the best to tackle this pandemic were countries that acted quickly swiftly and with caution at the arrival of the pandemic this was because these countries decided to put people over profit and deal with the virus with considerable urgency this includes countries like New Zealand led by Jacinda Ardern with just 26 deaths and Senegal led by Abdoulaye Wade with 253 deaths, these pale in comparison to that large stat of 117,000 deaths that are occurring in the UK. The key parallel between these countries, uh, New Zealand and Senegal, was their quick reaction time to the outbreak. They acted within days of the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, declaring the coronavirus outbreak a public health emergency, and this was on January the 30th of 2020. In early February, New Zealand was already quote-unquote on job. It barred entry to most travellers from affected countries and quickly sponsored repatriation flights from returning citizens. This was then doubled up with a temporary closure of the borders to non-citizens and non-residents. They quickly closed it up. They weren't wasting any time. That's all props to Jacinda Ardern for doing that meanwhile in senegal they imposed a curfew and restricted all domestic travel between its 14 regions after its first positively confirmed case on march the 2nd so that's also props to abdullahi wade for working quickly and really um, effectively to double down on this coronavirus pandemic as soon as there was sight of it in senegal and I have reason to believe that this was because of an extensive period of time working on the Ebola crisis which meant that Senegal had the blueprint of working with infectious uh, viruses and diseases and so that's really really good on them for doing that but to give you some perspective around this time so around a week later in fact on March the 9th the UK government ignored advice for a lockdown from SAGE which is the scientific advisory group for emergencies. And the most frustrating thing about this is that SAGE's whole purpose is to provide the government with scientific and technical advice. Yet the government literally ignored the advice, the the science they claim that they're following, insisting that social distancing would be enough. Second,
1: now is the time for everyone to stop non-essential contact
0: with others. I feel like this clearly illustrates, to some extent, the wider disconnect that politicians have with the public. How would anyone think that social distancing would actually work? I mean, who would enforce it? Are there even enough police officers to enforce that? Was that even practical? There's not many people who have the time, quite frankly, to be measuring out two metres every time they try to interact with something or someone. Fundamentally, it is indicative of a weak government to implement policies that put responsibility and culpability in the hands of the public. Otherwise, the public wouldn't have voted for this government because the whole point of representative politics is for representatives to take political responsibility for the public in the first place. The act of passing the buck back to the public was distasteful and was perhaps an early precursor to further calamity.
1: Without a huge national effort, Mr Johnson has made it clear there will come a moment when the NHS will not be able to cope and
0: more people will die. From tonight, you can only leave your home for very specific reasons. After public pressure was mounting and other countries imposed lockdowns, the UK finally decided to follow suit and eventually went into lockdown on the 23rd of March. This was a slow, a slow reaction and it should have happened earlier in hindsight, knowing what we know now. That is, that a possible 20,000 lives could have been saved during the first wave of coronavirus if a lockdown had been implemented earlier on. And this was research that was done by Imperial that stated that actually, yes, 20,000 lives could have been saved. This is due to the fact that transmission would have drastically reduced during the early stages and that would have made the virus easier to control. The larger the number of infected, it follows that the harder it is to control. And with around 6,650 positive cases around the time of March the 23rd, a lockdown was more than overdue. Sadly, what followed was a catalogue of further disasters. However, a mixture of obscure words hypocrisy and negligence which eroded public confidence trust and spirit increased the devastation of the virus and this was all mostly coming from the government now of course the government isn't fully to blame and some of the public do have to take a degree of accountability when it comes to increasing transmissions um, of this virus. A lot of us need to reflect and really introspect on some of the actions that we've taken. I know it wasn't only me who saw pictures of packed beaches and parks mid-pandemic. However, messages from the top certainly didn't help that cause. On May the 10th, Johnson changed the coronavirus slogan from stay at home to stay alert. I mean, this further caused confusion and caused people to misinterpret the unclear slogan and go out during the peak of the virus. And this obviously received backlash um, from a lot of people, including Nicola Sturgeon, the leader of the Scottish National Party, who refused to adhere to the slogan change as it was thought that the vaguity would cause further confusion. And to be honest, it really did. This worsened transmissions as people could literally use the excuse of being alert as justification for leaving their homes and doing leisurely activities. So it was very obvious very early on that there were issues with clarification, there was issues with good slogan, there was issues with being clear when it comes to communication and calling for people to actually stay at home. Yo, Chief just called. He said you have to talk about Cummings. Oh no, not again. Don't get me started. Actually, where do we even start?
1: My wife was very worried, particularly given my eyesight had seemed to to have been affected by the disease. She did not want to risk a nearly 300 mile drive with our child given how ill I had been. We agreed that we should go for a short drive to see if I could drive safely. We drove for roughly half an hour, and ended up on the outskirts of Barnard Castle town.
0: Dominic Cummings, special advisor to the PM. 260 mile trip from London to Durham during the height of the pandemic around mid-April. Then, further 60 mile trip around Barnard Castle to test eyesight on his wife's birthday. I don't really know if this requires further unpacking to be honest as it was a huge defining moment of the pandemic which intensified the disconnect between the political elite and the ordinary working person. This notion of one rule for them and another for us was a resounding motto which deepened the wounds between the government and the public. As a result, the public started to suspect that the government was scaremongering And I feel that at this point, there was a behavioural shift among the masses, which led to total disregard for the rules and safety measures. People lamented how they couldn't attend the funeral of their deceased family members. But somehow, the person who helps advise the PM was able to get away with it. This is somebody that actually drafts laws, legislation with the PM, an unelected official, might I add is getting away with not even following the laws that he gets the cosign. well i do say get away but it wasn't for long because as pressure mounted around november um, 2020 cummings had no choice but to resign at this point there was a lot of damage that had been done and even if cummings had to be sacrificed as the scapegoat of the pandemic the government did back his every move
1: When he had no alternative, I think he followed the instincts of every father and every parent. And I do not mark him down for that.
0: Recently, Cummings has resurfaced in the news, however, but again, not for great reasons. There are claims of him giving PPE contracts to his friends who are affiliated with the Conservative Party while in the government and this might have contributed to the inefficiency of some firms to provide PPE, such as Ayanda Capital, which delivered 50 million masks worth of 155 million pounds that were of the wrong specification. This is essentially crony capitalism in play, and this is basically the interrelationship between political and business elites that work together to keep each other in power through their respective means. So, for example, the government will keep the company's alive with PPE contracts and loans and the companies will normally do something in return. For example, a member of the company Public First that has secured around 3.8 million in contracts with the government co-wrote the Conservative 2019 Manifesto. So here you can see the connection between um, political power Um, of the government and then how that interplays with businesses so that both can keep each other afloat. However if this is true, if these claims are true about Dominic Cummings then this would really look bad on the government for letting Cummings loose for so long and co-signing him for so long. While the majority of the damage had been inflicted before summer initiatives such as Eat Out to Help Out Um, The Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which basically halved the price of foods, um, fast foods and restaurant foods. turned out to be disastrous and ended up sparking a second wave um, of coronavirus. I can announce today
1: that for the month of August, we will give everyone in the country an Eat Out to Help Out discount. Meals eaten at any participating business, Monday to Wednesday, will be 50% off, up to a maximum discount of £10 per head for everyone, including children.
0: I mean, promoting the consumption of cheap fast food in the middle of a pandemic exposed the government yet again of putting profit over people and favouring the economy over the livelihood of the general public, once again placing the public right in danger. I mean there's always going to be this argument and people will say well it's not like the public were forced to go out and eat and that is true. We have a degree of autonomy over our actions however the incentive that the government is setting out about going out to eat sets the precedent that it was okay to go out and eat because the government at the end of the day sets the precedent, it sets the general mood and if it says that it's okay to go out, then that's what people will do. But not only did it say it's okay to go out and give the green flag, it even incentivized people to go out. It said, actually, we are going to subsidize restaurants so you guys can have half price food and just go out and eat as much as you want. Go out during a pandemic. Was that irresponsible? Yes. almost oh, definitely... Now, an article for the Independent wrote um, that the University of Warwick did some research, and that research suggests that the government scheme of Eat Out to Help Out um, established by Rishi Sunak um, in summer may have been responsible for eight to seventeen percent of newly detected COVID nineteen clusters in August and early September, which helped to accelerate the second wave. So here you can see that there's evidence to support the fact that actually um, this notion or this scheme of Eat Out to Help Out actually had a really bad and devastating effect on the virus, really fast-forwarding, if you like, the second wave of this pandemic. And also further adding to this death toll that we see, which is tallied, as I said before in the beginning, to around 117,000. The Economist also told The Independent that the acceleration of the pandemic is the result of policy failures, including not having an effective test and trace system in place that would allow businesses to safely operate. There is certainly credence to this view, considering the fact that later on it was found that ironically 16,000 COVID test results were lost by Public Health England's Microsoft Excel spreadsheet.
1: Public Health England, the government body, says it identified what it calls a technical error involving a spreadsheet last Friday. It seems columns of data had been missed off. As a result, almost 16,000 positive test results were left out of official figures for a week.
0: As to why Public Health England was using a software as basic as Microsoft Excel, I'm really not too sure. I really can't answer that. I wish I could, but I don't want to be too critical because to be fair, a lot of companies use Excel just fine and normally it's quite reliable. Overall, there has been too many issues to count. Scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal has really plagued um, this country. Policy failures in the buildup of the pandemic caused inevitable damages that couldn't be reconciled later on. However, even despite that, there was still no reason for Britain to be Europe's leading COVID cemetery. The constant refusal of the government to listen to specialist advice and its inability to adapt to the pandemic has ultimately placed us in this position. Here's a clip of the Prime Minister not being able to even correctly explain his own policies to a member of the public.
1: You should follow the guidance of of local authorities uh, uh, but uh, it's it's uh, it's six in, in, in a home, or six in, in hospitality, but uh, as I understand it, not six outside.
0: Here's another one of him cancelling Christmas relaxations despite calling for it a few days prior.
1: Uh, it is with a very heavy heart, I must tell you, we cannot continue with Christmas as planned.
0: All these gaffes might seem small and irrelevant, but every time a public mistake is made, deals a shattering blow to the confidence of this country. If the chief politician is operating at a subpar standard, then that gives an indirect license for everyone else to start slacking too. Leaders have to lead by example. Furthermore, many minority ethnic backgrounds felt alienated by the government's initial calls for relaxation on solely Christmas. Many felt that If the government could make religious concessions for Christians on Christmas, it should have done so for other religious festivals like Diwali and Ramadan, which could only be celebrated in lockdown. Consequently, some of these unresolved grievances from ethnic minorities have intensified distrust and led to refusal to take the new vaccine, which is being rolled out. This is also definitely due to the history between ethnic minorities and the health authorities. A COVID BAME report that that recently came out last year showed that BAME people have a higher risk of catching COVID. And clearly this is due to pre-existing racial inequalities. We know that race is a social construct. So many of the disparities between races must be down to social inequalities, not genetics. No cap, facts, no printing, copy, no translate, period. Mm. Here are some facts and figures. Ethnic minorities make up around 14% of key workers who cannot work from home. This means that they are on the front lines. This means that they are actively dealing and coming into contact with the virus more frequently than others also ethnic minorities are more likely to live in urban areas where the transmission rates of covid are much higher than suburban areas or rural areas where there's much fewer people so because of some of these social inequalities, these long-lasting pre-existing social inequalities they are causing um, ethnic minorities to actually um, be affected more by the virus all these factors increase transmission rates and make BAME people more susceptible to COVID, um, I'm not really a fan of the word BAME, but for the sake of identification purposes, we're going to use that um, today. This risk combined with further caution about the vaccine is causing BAME communities to bear the brunt of the virus. And so actually we're seeing sort of a double dip effect. Not only are BAME people um, already exposed to the virus through social inequalities, however, Now, the fact that there's distrust about taking the vaccine is causing it to be much worse for BAME people in general. Speaking on the vaccine, however, there have been claims that the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is not even potent enough for over 65 year olds and Germany has commissioned its use for only 18 to 16 year olds. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is thought to have limited efficacy at around 62 percent which is much lower than the Pfizer vaccine at 95 percent which Israel is using and Israel has seen large success using the Pfizer vaccine however I mean at 62 percent it's not that bad considering that the flu jab is around 50 percent efficacy so actually the Oxford AstraZeneca uh, vaccine isn't too bad the only issue um, obviously is that we, this is quite um a short term, so we don't actually know the full effects and the long-lasting side effects of taking the vaccine as of yet. Since January, we have been in a lockdown. Reports claim that the daily death toll around early January was around 1,000 deaths and there was as much as 30,000 patients in hospital. Once again, for perspective purposes at this particular point in time, That would mean that in just three days, with an average of 1,000 daily deaths in the UK, there would have been more UK COVID deaths than COVID cases in New Zealand, which currently sits around 2,300 cases. So this just shows how bad it is. I'm just trying to um, really hammer home here the gravitas of the situation that the UK is in. Because... The thing is when you live in a country or when you live in an environment sometimes it's hard to see how extreme that is so for example i need to show that the grass is really looking greener elsewhere in other countries because they have dealt with the virus effectively whereas in the uk yes we may be normalized to this but just because we're normalized to it doesn't make it any good and this that is in particular Um, For those who ask, oh, what could the UK have done differently to prevent the spread of the virus? For those who insist that the government is doing its best and has been doing its best throughout, which clearly isn't true. I mean, also, if this is the best the government can do, that is a tad bit worrying, because that would mean that its ceiling is very, very low. And that's just sad. There's definitely more stuff the government could have done But now it seems like we're at a point of damage limitations and we can only really just try and control the virus as much as we can. Nonetheless, with the emergence of several new variants of the virus and possibly more variants on the way, we can't really tell what will actually happen next. I mean, when we talk about vaccines and we talk about lockdowns, when we talk about what the government can do, we we, we don't know what's actually going to happen next. We can't really predict the future. I wish I could, but I can't. And so we can only really just guess. And to be honest, if I'm going to make it a guess, I'm going to say this, all things kind of look bleak for the UK right now. And much of the damage that we've seen um, due to this uh, pandemic, um, it has been self-inflicted I mean, yes, we are dealing with um, an invisible killer, like Boris Johnson put it, but at the end of the day, there were measures and precautions that could have been put in place earlier to prevent transmission getting to the point or getting to the place that it has. Um, However, it's obviously still a great shame to witness. Right now, the country needs pragmatic policies that deal with the here and now, and it really does need to scrap these outdated political ideologies have no practical application in times of crisis. As I said before, this notion of putting a profit over people, the eat out to help out scheme, focusing on large businesses, etc. Um, that's not what sustains the soul of the country. What sustains the soul and spirit of the country is the people themselves, the ordinary working person that sustains the, the soul of the country. The collective sustains the soul of the country, not These large businesses which the government's giving out loans to or the government is prioritising. So we really need to focus on the here and now. Let's not focus on economics, which is a construct of its own that's been created by human beings. Let's focus on the actual human beings. Now, the public needs to be shown empathy, spirit and determination from our leaders, not obscurity, negligence and hypocrisy. However... The public also have a responsibility in making sure that we too are trying our utmost best to ensure that we we can reduce transmissions and help control the virus. The only solution in controlling the virus is through collective discipline and if it doesn't come from the top then it must come from the bottom up. Checkmate. Thank you for listening. Next episode we are talking all things Nigeria and assessing the extent to which Buhari has been a very bad boy. The Political Jobber Podcast.
1: The Political Jobber Podcast.
0: Why <laughs> <laughs> she you I We mean, just started though. We just said we will still tackle Buhari. Has, yes. 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 has been a bad boy. He has been a bad boy.